I'm Euro. I'm Chris. And this is Fork Bomb. Wednesday, April 11th, 2018. Episode 21, the Tandy TRS-80. Chris, it's been a while since we talked. Yeah, buddy, how's it going? Good, good. I um, have a strange feeling of deja vu right now, but... Um... <laughs> so have we done this only three minutes ago? <laughs> we were no, having we... an issue recording, but... Uh, no, no, we totally did not. no, we totally did not erase a recording issue of mystery. That never happened. <laughs> uh, as Chris waves his hand and does the Jedi mind trick. So we are going to discuss the TRS-80 computer by the Tandy Corporation, also affectionately known, or sometimes not affectionately known, as the Trash 80. And originally we were going to talk about Tandy um, as a whole, but there's just so much to it that we decided to stick to the TRS-80 line of computers, because there is a large, rich history there. But first, a brief history of the Tandy Corporation. It's interesting because they were founded as the Hinkley Tandy Leather Company in 1919. So Tandy then acquired Radio Shack in 1963, and that got them on their start to becoming a computer company. Uh, Charles Tandy, the founder, died in November 4th, 1978. Uh, Hinkley um, was killed because he had no interest in computers, and that previous statement is false. <laughs> he only liked leather. <laughs> Tandy was one of the three companies, Tandy, Apple, and Commodore, to start the PC revolution in 19, 1977 by introducing a pre-assembled computer instead of a kit. So the first pre-assembled computer was actually the TRS 80 Model 1, which was released in August 3rd, 1977. That was followed by the TRS-80 Model 2, which was released in October of 1979. And it actually, it wasn't an upgrade of the Model 1. That was the strange thing about the Model 2. It, it was an entirely different system, which was aimed at the small business market. So it's funny you should mention the Model 2 and having nothing to do with the TRS-80 Model 1, because that's entirely true. Um, it's not at all compatible with the TRS-80 Model 1. But the next in the line, the successor to the TRS-80 Model 1, which was backwards compatible, was the TRS-80 Model 3, which was in introduced in July 1980. So that's just a small example of how Tandy liked to hop around version numbers and model numbers, and the entire line is rife with that. It, it happens even today. I mean, where's Windows 9? Uh, where is it? <laughs> Nobody knows where it is. Yeah, but, so. but but this would be like saying window this would be like releasing Windows 9 but it doesn't use um it doesn't it's use Windows. NT technology, there is no NTFS file system and it only runs on ARM processors. That's the equivalent of what Tandy did here. Ah, okay, fair enough. Well, <clears throat> so after, wait, when when did we mention that the Model 3 was released? October, right? 1980? It was definitely before the Coco, the first Coco? I think so. 
It was July 1980. Okay. So, after the Model 3, it was quickly followed up. Follow. Holy crap. Let me say that again. <laughs> after the Model 3 was released, it was quickly followed up by the TRS-80 color computer, or otherwise known as the Coco, on July 31st, 1980. Now, the TRS-80 line of home computers were popular years before the IBM PC became common, and they had a wide distribution through Radio Shack when uh, there were actually a few computer stores. So Radio Shack was dedicated to selling these. In fact, for a short time, Radio Shack was top dog. They were the computer manufacturer. Um, they were they were doing very well before the IBM PC came along. And while I have no definitive proof of this, uh, based on just the videos that we watched and research that we've done, it seems like the color computer, or the Coco, is the one that people are the most nostalgic for. Certainly the one that I like the most. Uh, well, out of the TRS-80 lines, it's the line that I prefer. Uh, but it, it is interesting that it was the IBM PC that 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 really was the one that sparked the PC revolution. Um, wait, I just uh, I don't understand why Tandy didn't take off. Uh, was it all their computer lines, so it made it confusing? Or maybe it was just IBM had the name. It had the backing. They did take off um, just before IBM, and just, I guess, IBM and their business practices, and I don't know. Deep um, pockets. Honestly, I read it, and I forgot it. Um, I do know that the... They adopted the IBM PC-compatible um, architecture with the Tandy 2000 and the Tandy 1000. And, uh, the 2000 was released in September 1983, the Tandy 1000 in November of 1984. Of course. But they were not fully IBM PC-compatible, and they were much cheaper than an IBM PC. But but they were much cheaper than an IBM PC. Um, so I guess part of it was people wanted the IBM PC. I mean, you consider the business market, you, you want it to be guaranteed that all of your stuff will run. Um, and those machines became obsolete when the VGA graphic graphics cards and Sound Blaster sound cards became commonplace in the early 90s. So that's part of the reason that they didn't make it. I see. It kind of makes you wonder, though. I mean, what if, right? Yeah. We we might still have a we might still have Radio Shack. You know, I I recently I went to Radio Shack about I want to say maybe two years ago, and um, I can't believe they're gone. But anyway, okay. <laughs> I can. They were just a shitty store at the end. They had expensive components, but when you had to find that one capacitor, yeah, and I guess. you didn't want to wait for it. You went to Radio Shack true so so why don't we uh, dig into the original trs model one okay well the original trs 80 uh, model one as we said it was released in august 3rd 1977 the tandy execs were initially against the idea of selling computers who would want a computer uh, who would it reminds me of uh do you remember that movie pirates of silicon valley yeah hp and steve wozniak HP and Steve Wozniak, and yeah, okay. Eh. 
So the Model 1 was actually targeted mainly at small businesses, followed by education. It gained a popularity due to good marketing and being sold and, oh man, it gained popularity due to good marketing and being distributed via many Radio Shacks. It was actually selling three times as many computers as Apple by 1980. Now that is crazy because I thought Apple was definitely doing better than Tandy. Pirates of Silicon Valley didn't even mention Tandy, so this is all that movie's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Model 1 was discontinued due to stricter FCC regulations about radio frequency interference. The Model 1 radiated so much interference that AM radio could be used to provide sounds. Now, let's let's stop and think about that. Yeah. So, they would... You could actually program it to make the sounds that you wanted to through an AM radio. I mean, you wouldn't need speakers. I mean, yes, that's terrible (laughs) that it was radiating that much interference. Yeah. And the sound were just little tiny bleeps and bloops. I mean, nothing in the way of actual sound hardware. Don't expect any SID chip level stuff out of this thing. Um, Right. Single voice. No sound hardware. But based on how they make the CPU do stuff, it makes interference, and that makes no, and that makes sound in your radio, and people would write programs to utilize that for sound. That's great. I mean, the you know, it, it just it just amazes me how how people come up with these things. Yeah, and since we're on the topic of sound, this this comes later. Uh, so we'll just skip it in the notes, but um, they did discover how to produce square square wave tones that can be produced by outputting the data directly to the cassette port and plugging headphones or an amplifier into the data outline. So they shoved the sound through the um, the tape cassette port, which was used for data storage. So it became kind of a multi-use device, uh, data in, sound out. Wow. I, I wonder if there was any other machines that actually did, uh, did that. You know, like the, I heard the Amstrad. Didn't they have some sort of, didn't they have some cassette drive and, and it was also outputting some sort of sound? Maybe it's a different machine that I'm thinking of. Anyway. Yeah, that, that's, that's really neat. Um, Atari... So Tandy must have cheaped out, I guess, because Atari was making their machines with full Faraday cages. I remember the first one that was released in the 70s, um, that one that had the cartridge slot on the top. It had a full Faraday cage. It was so heavy. Yes. I think they said it was. It weighed something upwards of 30 pounds. One of the So the Model 1 was one of the earliest mass-produced PCs. It actually ran on the Zilog Z80 processor at 1.77 megahertz. Now, actually... We've talked about this processor before, Chris. Uh, I remember uh, distinctly talking about it um, when we discussed uh, one of the Atari uh, machines. I believe it might have been the ST. But um, yeah, we talked about the Z80 processor before and also how Digital Research had um, one of their operating system versions compatible with the Z80 chip. So that, uh, that was actually a pretty popular processor at the time. Um, another one of the uh, points of, for the Model 1 was that, that it had 4K of RAM. 
I don't know how you could do much of anything with 4K, but I'm sure there'll be lots of people saying that you can. Dancing Demon, that was in 4K. Dancing Demon. I'm just, you know, it surprises me how many, how big a single word file is, a blank word file, <laughs> and it's way bigger than 4K. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, okay, so uh, the Model 1 had a floating point basic, had floating point basic programming language. Um, it uh, featured 64 column uh, video monitor. Its starting price was $600 with a monitor and $399 without. And that would be around, uh, you know, price adjusted would be around $1782 today um, for the one with the monitor and uh, 11 85 uh, without the monitor so that's just uh, adjusted for today's uh, price you know, so inflation and things like that um, it used the data cassette for storage and uh, while there were no sounds as you had mentioned the square waves tones could be produced by outputting outputting data to the cassette port and plugging headphones uh, or an amplifier into the data outline so that's just really neat how they were able to use that it's also uh, the model one was also unique um, compared to the other later offerings, the Apple II and the Commodore, in that it came with a monitor, or you could buy a monitor with it. Um, and it's, I think it was a slightly modified, basically a slightly modified television. Um, not of fantastic quality, from what I read, but though the other APA machines, you, you typically use them with your television. And later, the, the Coca was designed to be used with the television. So I, I just found it um, interesting that this early machine had a monitor made for it. Yeah, I believe the Coco actually came out with different inputs, or I'm sorry, outputs. I think it had an RF output uh, along with uh, composite. Yeah. Um, well, a few other features on the uh, Model 1. Um, it actually could be expanded up to 48K of RAM in uh, 16K increments and up to four floppy drives or hard disk drives. So I, that's I th actually a, quite a bit. I, th I think it was only RF because it had a... I uh, might be thinking of a, a, another computer, but it was probably only RF. You know what I'm thinking of is the Coco 3. I believe the Coco 3 had both, the uh, RF and composite. Let me look up that, uh, looking up the Model 1 ports. I want to see if it has a switch on it. Yeah, I'm really not sure. Because the RF, uh, the, the Coco 3 had the, the Gimme, that Jimmy uh, Gimme, uh, video processor, and I think it did support Output to a composite video monitor or analog RGB monitor in addition to the Coco 1 and Coco 2's TV output. That but was like, Coco 3. But what about the Model 1? Oh, I don't know. Thought, thought we jumped around and didn't talk. I was still talking about the uh, Model 1's output. Oh, well, I'm, I'm off in the weeds. I've hijacked the podcast and talking about my favorite, Coco. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so the Model One's primary storage was a a cassette tape drive. So, um, regular audio cassettes used to store data, but these were very difficult to use. You had to fiddle with the volume settings and 
you had to fiddle with the volume setting a lot to get things to load. And that would be very frustrating because even under ideal conditions, when you're trying to load something off a tape, it can take 5, 10, 15 minutes. So imagine um, struggling through 10 minutes of load time just to find out you just play with the volume knob and start it all over again. I wouldn't want one. That sounds terrible. It did have an expansion interface, which allowed for upgrading RAM, adding a floppy drive, a real-time clock, second cassette port. Interesting that it did not have a real-time clock. How Hmm. did it tell time without that? Um, Among other additions. But the most troublesome part about the uh, the 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 trash eighty the trash eighty systems, it was its six inch ribbon cable, which was unshielded against RF interference, and it was prone to oxidizing due to the use of different metals in the contact. So it, in the uh, contact, so it was this thin ribbon cable that plugged into the expansion interface, and you'll be using it, minding your business, and the machine would just reboot or lock up and you had to go and fiddle with that some more and clean it and uh and that was where it started to get its its, uh, its nickname the trash 80 because of that ribbon uh ribbon cable that's um i can't believe that even made it off the off the factory line that, that just seems huge huh well so um a few other noteworthy things about the uh, Model 1. It's a floppy disk drive. It required the expansion interface, that one that you had just mentioned. Uh, it could be daisy chained to a maximum of four. So you could potentially have four floppy disk drives. So um, that's uh, interesting. The max that I've ever used in floppy disk drives actually was, was two in my own, uh, from, from my own personal experience. I don't know why you would need four, but uh, hey. Um, it allowed for the ability to run TRS-DOS, uh, and that's not to be confused with Tandy-DOS. That was completely different. And um, it also used single-density dens- floppy interface with the uh, format capacity of 85K. So that can store, what, half of a blank Word file? Uh, a few dancing demons. <laughs> <laughs> It also had a five megabyte hard drive. Uh, also, could four of those could be daisy chained for up to twenty megabytes of storage. Which, Whoa. honestly, this is nineteen seventy seven. We're talking about that's that's impressive. And the hard drive came bundled with LDOS by Logical Systems. Well, think about it. If if a single density floppy drive was eighty five k back then. And your hard drive was five megabytes or up to twenty megabytes. That that's significant. I mean, that's a lot of hard drive space. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, a few ports that the Model One had was the uh, it had the cassette I/O, it had the video port, um, it had that expansion connector that we we uh, were mentioning. Um, the software that came with it it actually came with three different uh versions of basic it had level one basic which was good for single precision only and smaller set of commands Uh, level two basic which had uh, double precision floating point support and uh, a wider command set and then you had disk basic which had the ability to perform disk io Um, radio shack 
Oh, go ahead. What? Were you going to say something? I wasn't, but I was thinking something. Um, think about that. So you have only one version of only one version of basic lets you work with a disk we take that so for granted like, like, like of course it works with the disk but disk basic having disk io that that was a luxury option yeah you know the more that i think about it the more that i don't want a trs80 model one yeah and um it, it just seems like all the other machines, are in, including... Now, of course, this machine was made later, but even the Commodore 64 was... It just it just seemed leaps and bounds better. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't that much later. I mean, really, we're not talking about that much longer. So it's just it's just amazing that... that I, don't, I don't know, maybe the TRS-80 was just not a great product or... It was one of the first PCs, and it was cheap, so I'll give it that. Well, yes, that's true, but Radio Shack um, didn't... Radio Shack really kind of shot themselves in the foot a bit um, with the TRS-80s. They, they didn't really advertise the um, their... The uh, large collection of third-party software. They wanted people to stick with their programs, the Radio Shack branded programs, which there weren't very many, and they weren't that good. Um, third-party developers had to be resourceful because many of the machine's capabilities were hidden and had to be discovered. So, yeah, Radio Shack uh, later admitted that they they should have encouraged third-party developers to to create things for the uh, the uh, TRS-80. What a what a concept. Yeah. Um it <laughs> for some weird reason I keep thinking of Nintendo and uh and their lack of third party hardware as software for the for the Wii U. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, but Nintendo um, makes good software. Nintendo does. But their third party offerings are uh yeah. were were not that great with the Wii U. Um Okay, well, all right. Um, <clears throat> the Model One actually did have, besides those limitations that you talked about and those little those big annoyances, it actually did have some limitations. Uh, the memory layout rendered it incompatible with CPM, which uh, in CPM, as we all know, was a custom version. Uh, a custom version of CPM was required for it to run, so I guess it wasn't made. So I guess the Model 1 didn't run the normal CPM version, the standard, the one that the PCs ran. Which which defeated the point of CPM in that it was portable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any access to the screen memory would cause the graphics to flicker. Yep. Uh, there were no graphics, only text semi-graphics, so like... Uh, well, I don't even know if uh, if all the ASCII characters would be there, but I suppose some characters were there. Well, they were they were built into the 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 uh, character set, uh, little squares, circles, mm-hmm. angles, and uh, you could 
um, some would look like trees, um, odd-looking brackets, and you could combine those to look somewhat graphical. Okay. There's uh, no dedicated sound and graphics processing chips. The CPU does all the processing. And there was no colors. So, there were also some problems. Hardware-wise, it suffered from key bounce. More result. problems. <laughs> it was the first attempt. Uh, it suffered from key bounce, resulting in multiple letters being typed accidentally, and it could not display lowercase characters despite them existing in the character set. Now, I can see if it just didn't have them, but it did, but it couldn't display them. So, to summarize this machine, yes, 1977, I get it, early attempt, but we have a an 8-bit machine where its only expansion option is the is its biggest, its largest bane because it oxidizes and um, oxidizes and degrades over time, and loading software into it requires fiddling with a volume knob, and that takes a long time. Good luck getting that right. 4K of RAM, base offering, and your options for basic, um, you know, you're pretty limited there. Only one of them can do disk I.O., and you have no specialized uh, chips for doing sound and graphics. No audio hardware, so you have to use a hack to push it out through your tape port. This wasn't a great machine. I mean, it's all there was at the time, so that was great. Just the notion of, hey, it's a computer. I guess that was the biggest uh, selling point. Um, but it's interesting to see how, how far we've come f from this. I mean, we can do a whole topic on comparing computers from 1977, but I mean, people could have used the PET. And was the Commodore PET a better machine than the first model, than the Model 1 TRS-80? Uh, I mean, that's arguable, but, you know, there was that. And I don't remember them having an issue with the ribbon cord. Of course, this and is... Their keyboard was terrible. Of course, this is the only uh, model computer I know of to have trash in the name. <laughs> um... I just, uh, I just, I remember that the Commodore Pets keyboard. Um, it, it's, it was just awful. Actually, if you look at, it, if you do a quick search on the Commodore Pets keyboard, you will, you'll see what I'm talking about. Checklist tile. It sort of, and it's all mashed together into one small rectangle. Ew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's that. So I guess I, I should say something good about the the about this machine. And it's not about the machine itself, it's about the documentation. Radio Shack was very good about uh, documenting how to use it and how basic worked and getting um getting users into using it and and teaching about it. I mean I agree. Uh it's it, and again we gotta we gotta keep in mind the time that this came out. Um, it it certainly was uh, quote unquote revolutionary for its time. I mean, you know, nineteen seventy seven. Not only did Star Wars come out, but 
Um, <laughs> but I mean, the, the, this machine certainly was a an attempt, uh, a fair attempt at uh, bringing the ho- uh, computer to the home market. True. Um, well, why don't we discuss the Model uh, Model Three? <laughs> we're we're gonna jump to Model Two for now, since um, since we'll have to leave that one for uh, for after the Model Three, since it was so different. Sounds good. The Model Three physically looks like uh, quite a jump forward. It's an all-in-one type of unit. It has a the uh, keyboard is built in, the monitor is built in, and it has. Uh, two expansion bays where you can insert two full-size floppy disks that sit to the right uh, to the right of the monitor. So the expansion interfaces are built in. No more flimsy ribbon cables. So that's really good. Um, physically, it looks like a much more capable machine, and it really reduces on the wire clutter. Forgot to mention that with the uh, TRS-80 Model One, you had wires to hook up the expansion interface to the computer itself. The computer was the the keyboard and the computer were the same unit. The expansion interface plugged into that had its own power supply. The floppy drives uh, plugged into the expansion unit. I'm pretty sure they had their own power supply. They even sold a specialized desk for the TRS-80 Model 1 to hide these uh, giant spaghetti mess of wires. Hmm. So the Model 3, you you can probably get away with one or two wires. By the way, we're we're back to having lots of wires everywhere. I'm looking at my desktop here as you're mentioning that, and I have wires all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> l- looking at you, new MacBook Pro. <laughs> um, well, I certainly... Do like the design of the Model Two, uh, Model Three. I'm sorry, Ugh. the Model Three more. Um, and a little bit about it, you know, the Model Three came directly after the Model One in terms of computer lines. Now, now again, it was a different computer line. The Model Two that was designed for small business, uh, but not the Model Three. So the Model Two was non-compatible computer entirely and was part of the business line. Just want to reiterate. Uh, the Model 3 was released in 1980. It, it also had excessive radio frequency noise. Uh, it was silver gray as the Model 1, so they kind of kept to that uh, theme. Uh, there were lots of improvements over the Model 1, though. Chris, you want to talk about some of the improvements? Sure. As previously mentioned, an all-in-one in- it had an all-in-one enclosure that included the monitor, a better keyboard. We finally get lowercase characters. Yay. Awesome. So now we don't have to shout all the time. It um, was backwards compatible with the Model 1, has um, sported a faster Z80 processor at 2.03 megahertz, came with a real-time clock included. Uh, Finally. Has the, had the aforementioned expansion slots for two full-height floppy disks, um, included a more powerful 14K Level 2 basic ROM, had a numeric keyboard built in. Uh, yeah, I guess the Model 1 didn't. Mm. This, and the sockets to support up to two 48K RAM modules. So that's that's quite a bit more RAM. Um, and it introduced uh, TRS-DOS version 1.3, which was mostly compatible with the Model 1. 
Um, so I was actually this level two basic ROM is I I wonder if it's similar to the same level two basic ROM that the, the model one had, which is the uh, the level two, which is the the one with the double precision floating point support and wider command set. So we actually still don't get disk basic, but at least we get level two basic and not that weird level one basic with the single precision only and small set of commands. Maybe. I was not as thorough with my research on the Model 3. Um, I really don't know what which versions were available for it. I, I just know that it included Level 2 Basic ROM. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I'm willing to bet that TRS-DOS could do disk I.O. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, disk operating I don't, system. I don't know, but uh, I can assume. Disk operating system. DOS. It's not Tross. <laughs> it's Tristos. Tristos. <laughs> um, some of the limitations of the Model 3, uh, 80%. They were 80% compatible with the Model 1 software. Uh, applications that perform low-level hardware just wouldn't work. So I- I'll take 80%. Backwards compatibility. Well, that limits you to basic, pretty much. What, the um, the 80% is just basic? Well, no, not entirely, but if you run something in machine language, there's more of a chance of it performing low-level hardware access. Oh, absolutely. Right. No, no, assembly, uh, no assembly games for you. So, there is actually the... Um, should we discuss the Model 2 now? For time's sake, we're gonna not discuss the um, the rest of the lineage of the TRS-80 Model One because there are just so many. There were a couple of portable versions. There, there were a lot. Um, Eric owned one of those portable versions. Yes, he did the uh, Model One Hundred, I believe, and there were two right. portables. Um, but we could briefly mention some of the more obscure ones, uh, like you just asked about, like the Model 2. So, the Model 2 was actually, um, again, small business uh, market. It was uh, targeted at that. It was uh, launched in October of 1979. It was sold only in Tandy stores. The <laughs> the one disc version was $3,450. <laughs> and, and that was back then money. And a four-disc version was $6,599. I mean, and that's like millions today. Um, it did include uh, several advanced... Uh, several advanced... Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but... It did include DMA, vector interrupts, a detachable keyboard, and port instead of memory-mapped I.O. So those are some, some enhancements. Uh, the single-sided... Floppy drive or floppy disks were of uh, 500k, so that's considerably more than the uh, single-sided floppy disk drive of the Model 1. It came with 32 or 64k of memory, and two RS-232 ports and a parallel port. So you do have significantly more I/O ports than you do on the Model 1, um, which I would hope so for that price. 
Um, you could actually use all of the 64K of memory instead of taking space for a video. That was one really neat thing about this machine. That's interesting. So it had dedicated video RAM? So there was a way that you could put the, uh, the, the allocated memory for video into, into disks somewhere. It, it was, you know what, don't put that on there because I don't, I, I had included it somewhere in my notes and I can't find it now. Yeah. There was there was a way that they were they were able to grab the video memory and put it into I think it was disk. Whoa, the BIOS was loaded from the floppy. Yep, BIOS was loaded from floppy. Due to this, most of the memory could be used by software. Hmm. Huh. Maybe that's where they load the video. Yeah, don't don't put that on there though, because I don't I don't remember where it was. Um, it ran TRS-DOS and BASIC. You had a uh, different disk format and system architecture, which actually made it incompatible with the Model 2 and 3 out of the box. But this was resolved by CPM. See, you can install CPM, and that was, uh, that was kind of the bridge to get you that compatibility with the other model systems. Hmm. So I guess in some way you could say that this was the better out of those between Models 1 and 3 of the TRS-80s. Uh, although way more expensive. Yeah. Um, BASIC was provided in disk and not in ROM. And that included enhancements from MS BASIC or Microsoft BASIC. But it did remove tape support. Ah, uh, shucks. Actually, tape support was uh, pretty important. Uh, but this machine seemed to focus more on floppy. So. Uh, the Model 2 included a Shugart SA800 floppy drive which is spin continuously whether this was being accessed or not. Now, not, not only does that sound terrible as far as uh, just, just writing and removing disks are concerned, I don't even know how you would remove a disk if it's still spinning. Um, that just sounds terrible and a, and, a, and a great way to mess up your floppy disks. Yeah. But also the noise that it would make. Um. Various revisions to the Model 2 were made. The earliest models could not boot from a hard disk, so it would it was strictly floppy boot only. So the BIOS could be loaded from the hard disk, but not the operating system. So that I bet you that you could also load the BIOS from Yeah, exactly, from 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 the floppy disk. So you had to load the BIOS in the floppy disk and then you would boot to the operating system from the hard drive. Um, for hard drives, there was no subdirectory support, and the drive was simply treated as one giant floppy disk. So, there's that. The Model 2 also had a case fan due to the heat generated by the floppy drives continuously spinning, uh, running spindle <laughs> motor. See, I knew it! I knew it! Uh, the case fan and power supply fan meant the unit was loud compared to the almost silent Model 1 and Model 3. That's it. I don't want a Model 2. Um, it allowed three external floppy drives to be daisy-chained to it, unlike the Model 1, which you could actually daisy-chain four. Why, why am I making the Model 1 seem like a better unit? It's not. It's four, not. The Model 2 is better. Four at 85k a piece. <laughs> That's true, compared to the 500k each. Uh, the Model 2 used a dedicated monochrome composite monitor with higher quality and better adjusted components than the modified TV set provided with the Model 1. So, crisper monochrome graphics. I wonder if they were orange. 
you know, black and orange. I don't know. Rather than black and green. Uh, the text display was a higher resolution than the Model 1 and added lowercase letters. Uh, since the unit was made to be more of a business machine, it de-emphasized graphic characters and replaced them with additional currency and mathematical symbols. A few text adventure games were made for it, like... Oh, and I didn't specify any. Okay. Look at that. Like. Like Zork. I don't know. Okay, so let's just say a few text adventure games were made. The floppy controller and the better video circuitry made it to the Model 3. So the Model 3 obviously did come out uh, one year later. And uh, and those that circuitry made it over to that unit. Something that I love about doing this podcast is we get to learn about these older machines that we never got to never got to experience. And in a way, I could see how I would be nostalgic for some of them if I ever had them. And to the point to where I I almost want to go and get an Atari 800. I almost want to go and get a, a Commodore 64. I might actually wind up doing it one day. Amiga. But the TRS-80, I have no desire so far to 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 go and buy one. Like I might plink around on one if someone put it in front of me, play with it for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, and then be happy never touching it again. You know, Chris, you could get a mini Commodore 64. Like I could. The um it's uh it's been getting pretty interesting reviews. Hmm. So I'm just saying, just throwing that out there. But if you get a Commodore 64, I think I might have to get an Amiga. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I've got an Amiga. How's your 64 doing? <laughs> um, there were some units released uh, as well. Uh, you know, as you had mentioned, there was a lot of different TRS uh, 80 models, etc. That Tandy had uh, released during the during its run. Uh, some of those two that I wanted to mention here was the 16, the Model 16 and the 16B. Uh, they were released in 1982 and they were actually a follow-up to the Model 2. So that's, uh, that's kind of how I'm, uh, that's the segue into these Model 16 and 16B. They're actually a follow-up to the Model 2, so the small business line. Uh, they were Motorola 68000 based. They did keep the original C80 though as an I.O. processor. So it actually had that as well. It included two double-sided floppy drives. Uh, it could run TRS-DOS 16 or TRS-Xenix. You know that elusive Microsoft Unix operating system that we should definitely do a podcast on? We definitely should. Five months into the introduction of the Model 16, it still had no software to run on the, the TRS-DOS 16, and people had to run Model 2 software instead. Um, with Xenix, the Model 16 firmly became a popular system for small business with a relatively large library of you know business software. It offered multi-user word processor, multi-user, huh. um, spreadsheet program, database, and accounting suite. You know that multi-user. I wonder if it functioned anything like that uh, Computer Chronicles episode where they were showcasing that multi-user DOS system. Uh, I, I don't know. That'd be interesting to to find out. Um, it did offer a few programming languages like COBOL, uh, BASIC, and C. Uh, it made Radio Shack actually the leading Unix vendor at the time. 
The Z80 performed all the I.O. functions, which freed up the 68,000 for processing. The, the Model 16B, which uh, came out in 1983, did offer 256K of memory, an internal hard drive, 8 MHz 68,000 versus uh, the 6 MHz original model. Uh, and the 16B was the most popular Unix computer in 1984, with almost 40,000 units sold. I mean, this is 1984. Uh, you know, 40,000 units back then for for a computer, I think, was pretty decent. Although I still think the uh, IBM PC beat it, but um, but yeah, no. For I me, mean, for Unix, that's a uh, that's great. Yeah, definitely. So it had two processors: the Z80 and the Motorola 68000. Two processors. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's really neat. Uh, actually, when I when I saw that, I. <laughs> You know, the Z80 can do so much. Um, like the Model 1 has the Z80, and, and actually we know of other machines that have the Z80 as their main processor, and this one just uses it as a I.O. processor. So that must be a... Well, I, I think that's pretty neat in engineering. So let's cover the Model 4, and after this, I'm thinking um, you pointed out we're coming up on the hour mark, so we're going to have our first two our first two-parter. And... On the next one, we'll cover uh, one or two more obscure um, versions of the original original TRS-80, but jump in short order to the Coco, which is, I think, what most people want to hear about because they get uh, nostalgic in the feels for that one. So the Model 4 was released in 1983 in April. Uh, looked similar to the Model 2. No, I'm sorry, looks similar to the Model 3, as in it, it was an all-in-one unit, uh, built-in monitor, built-in keyboard, uh, dual floppy drives. It actually looks very nice. Um, it was 100% compatible, backwards compatible, with the Model 3. Um, lack of compatibility was seen as a costly misstep by Radio Shack, so they, they learned from their mistake on that one. It originally came in three configurations, 16... Uh, a 16K cassette only version for $999 in before time currency. 64K with one floppy drive. Um, that's referring to the RAM, right? 64K, one floppy. Um, that's that's got to be referring to the RAM. It originally came in three configurations 16 kilobytes of RAM with a single, with a single cassette drive for $999. 64K of RAM with only one floppy drive for $1,699, or 64K of RAM with two floppy drives for $1,999. It looked like the Model 3 that it replaced. The only difference was it was white instead of the uh, TRS-80 standard uh, gunship gray had new features including a 4 MHz clock, full 64K of RAM, uh, plus support for another 64K to give you 128K, 80-column um, by 24-column screen with reverse video, not sure where that is, expanded keyboard with function keys, TRS-6 with Microsoft Basic, and it was CPM compatible. Um, no version included a high-res graphics display, although it was an option. The Model 4 was originally going to include a detachable keyboard, but the Model 1 customers preferred the all-in-one look and 
didn't want keyboards wandering off. Oh, and no, oh, and schools. I'm sorry, uh, but Model One customers preferred the all-in-one look, and schools, being Model Four customers, uh, being big Model Four customers, didn't want keyboards quote wandering off with children getting their little grubby hands on them and taking them home. Do you want to take the rest of this one? Sure. So the Model Four was originally designed to use the Z800 16-bit uh, processor by Zilog, but Zilog never produced the the part. So they actually did engineer that though for it. Uh, the TRS DOS six TRS DOS six was regarded as one of the best features of the Model Four since it included a lot of the advanced features, uh, you know, device redirection, bash processing, and device filtering. TRS-DOS was also sold as LS-DOS, and that's because LS... See, um, TRS-DOS was bundled with the Tandy machines, but they also developed their own company to sell uh, to sell it out independently, and that's what LS-DOS was. Um, due to internal conflicts at Radio Shack, very little software was written for the Model 4 for the first few months. Uh, the Model 4P was a portable version of the Model 4, and the 4D included DeskMate. Uh, so Deskmate was that popular software um, that, uh, Chris, I believe you and I have uh, taken a look at this before, where it had that graphical, you know, quote-unquote graphical. It just had that, uh, it reminded me of a DOS shell, more like, where you could see the directory structure as a tree and things like that. Yeah. So the Model 4 was lastly offered on the 1990 Radio Shack catalog, and it included integrated software package developed by them. Uh, which was also included in the Model 4D, although MS-DOS could still be ordered sometime after that with that unit. So that covers the a good bit of the TRS, um, the early TRS models um, that were not the color version. These were all monochrome. Um, I would like to briefly talk about um, experience using um using the TRS-80 Model 1. So I haven't actually physically seen one, touched one, but I did play with it in an emulator and in a JavaScript emulator, of all things, but it can run the applications uh, natively. Um, I tried a few games here and there, and they could do a surprising amount with uh, those text-only um, text semi-graphics. <clears throat> and I think one of my favorite... Um, favorite things was Dancing Demon, which it was this little alien looking guy who would do a little song and dance and dance around and it did the animation was pretty smooth. It had little uh, tap dancing sounds and you could pr even program in uh, songs for it to dance to, control the speed. Uh, so despite it being so primitive, people were doing a lot with it. Um, so I guess that covers it for the models 1 through 4 of the Tandy uh, computer line. In our next episode, we're going to discuss the more popular Coco series, which was the color computer series. It just seems like um, that more people used it, uh, including myself. I, did, uh, have, I do have a little bit of experience with it. And, um, and yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. Um, there were a few Coco lines that uh, were made available uh, until the actually early 90s. So that was uh, surprising that uh, they lasted that long. But uh, but yeah, I mean, 
the Coco was an incredibly popular line of machines, for Tandy machines anyway. So, yeah, stay tuned. So what's your opinion of the the, the original TRS-80s now that you've uh, researched them? If I was going to own one, it'd probably be the Model um, 4. You know, it just seemed to have the most... Uh, it was the most revised. It was, uh, I mean, the most refined out of all of them. Uh, you didn't have that uh, crazy uh, interference, no ribbon cable to deal with. And although we could go also with a Model 3, um, the, the Model 4 just, you know, had the faster processor. And um, it was completely compatible with the Model 3. Um, yeah, it, it's just, a, for me, it's a no-brainer. The Model 4 was, out of, out of the four to choose from, it was just the best unit. Not to mention the price. So I would definitely have owned a Model 4 compared to a Model, you know, 2. Yeah. I'm with you there. I I think the way that they go, it would probably be, you know, Model 4 in terms of from from best to worst. It would probably be the Model 4 and then maybe Model 2 and then Model 3 and then Model 1. Yeah. I recognize the, the Model 1 for its place in history. But yeah, it's that was definitely a first early attempt. Right. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't see myself ever going out of my way to, to, uh, to try to play with one. It's just you know, and I compare it with the machines that came out during that time, and uh, I mean something like the Commodore. Well, okay, the Commodore Pet was a completely different machine i get it but still they were released around the same time and i just don't i don't remember the pet having those kind of issues maybe it had different issues but not those that i mean that's some serious stuff so but anywho yeah that's uh, pretty much all i have to say about the uh, models one through four uh i do appreciate them i'm glad that they were um, they were built. <laughs> I'm glad that uh, they made it into our computer history. Uh, in one way or another, they shaped the way that uh, that uh, computer history turned out and uh, what we use today. So, Cool. Well, thank you as always, okay. Zero. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, can't wait to talk about the Coco with you. Yeah, that one I'm excited for. Um, that one I think I'm going to be a bit more enthusiastic about. That one went toe-to-toe with the Commodore. Okay. I'll make sure I get a bottle of whiskey to talk about the next one then. <laughs> All right. Uh, instead of just water. <laughs> I Okay. I too was having water straight up. So this was fun, and good night, buddy. Good night, Chris. See you guys. Bye-bye. Fork Bomb Podcast can be found on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Podcast. On Twitter at Forkbomb Podcast, or you can email us at forkbombpodcast.gmail.com, or you can visit our website, forkbomb.podbean.com. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you enjoyed it.